Now on Sunday Extra, we have a story about local news that spans the globe. The Daily Catch is an online newspaper devoted to, quote, reporting on the news and activities of the people, schools, merchants, farms and government in and around the Hudson Valley towns of Red Hook and Rhinebeck, New York. Despite that very specific devotion, the Daily Catch also happens to have a Ukraine correspondent. His name is Pavel Kulyuk, and he lives with his wife Sveta in Kramatorsk, a city of 150,000 people in Donetsk. The story of how Pavel came to find a journalistic home at the Daily Catch is superbly, beautifully unlikely. And I'm very pleased to say that the founder of the Red Hook Daily Catch, Emily Sacker, joins us now. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. Emily, I'm assuming that an official Ukraine correspondent wasn't a part of the original business plan for the Daily Catch when you founded it. So how did you end up with one? God, total serendipity. So reporting on issues that require database analysis was very much a part of our plan. We wanted to do stories about land rights and so forth. So I sought a database analyst in December of 2021. And the gentleman who applied happened to be a gentleman from Ukraine named Pavel Kulyuk, to whom you just referred. And he started in on the project. He did a great job speaking no English to me and me speaking no Ukrainian to him. And uh, before you knew it, I decided that it was worth asking him about what was life like in the run-up to this war that started to seem more and more imminent. A couple of days before the war started, I asked him if he would be willing to write a story for us, just one, and he said he would. And from there, we're now almost a year later, and he's penned some 68 columns for us. And Pavel's War definitely has a prominent place on the Daily Catch website. Before we uh, dive into Pavel's War, Emily, could you tell us a little bit about what sounds like a very unconventional relationship between an editor and a journalist dealing with data uh, across a language divide? What sort of stuff was Pavel able to come up with? And, and how did he have those skills in relation to Red Hook when he lives in Ukraine? Well, that's the funny thing, though. Data and numbers don't require translation from <laughs> nationality to nationality. And what I needed him to do was to go through a database of some 64,000 pieces of data and try to sort out why I was having trouble properly adding and dividing certain data points. And he was able to look at that data pretty quickly, actually very quickly, and figure out what we were doing wrong. We were working on a story about who owns the land in the town of Red Hook. And there were a lot of individual data points to add up for each single landholder. So he was able to crunch that data. And there you have it. It was just seamless, his work. Who owns the land is a resonant theme indeed. I suppose it's a bit of a leap, though, from that sort of analytical number crunching skill to writing an engaging column, certainly an engaging column for people on the other side of the world. When did you get a sense that there was something more to what Pavel could offer for your audience? So it was immediate, Julian. It was really surprising. I think that the drama of the start of the war was instantly compelling. And we were hearing in the New York Times and on CNN about the challenges on the ground. We were hearing about the war movements and troop movements. And we were starting to hear a little bit early in the war about life in Kiev, as an example. But we really weren't hearing a through line about an individual person's story. And I just thought, that I was interested. And I like to put into the newspaper stories that are of interest to me. And I use that as my guide, right? 
I work for myself. This paper is my <laughs> own passion project. So I just kept trying it. And every day that he produced something, I was more and more interested and I wanted to know more and more about him. And then our readers started to second my instincts, which was very reassuring and also comforting because I wasn't sure if maybe in my zeal to connect with Pavel, I was somehow blinded and my news judgment was not as intuitive as it should have been. But in fact, it turned out that my readers were at least as interested in Pavel as I was myself. That's interesting. And was it a uniform response? Were there some people who thought, hang on, this is a little bit outside the remit of the Red Hook Daily Catch? That's an excellent question. And the answer is it was not universal. And in fact, our publisher, the man who is now our publisher, we located because he really took issue with the Pavel story. He said, there's too much of it. It's dominating the front page of the newspaper. And I went to lunch with him and I said, can you bear with us a little longer? It's not going to stay like this. I assure you this is going to quiet down as it in fact has. So from being three columns a week, it's now a column every other week. But I felt it was important to try. And I said to my readers, those who were skeptical, just skip the stories. If you're not interested, just bypass them. You can always do that. It's digital <laughs> or stop reading. But let me see if I can find the secret sauce in this story. And there you have it. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with the founder and editor of The Daily Catch, Red Hook's online newspaper devoted to local journalism, but also the home of the wonderful column, Pavel's War. Emily, could you pick out some of the moments from Pavel's War to give us a sense of the topics and the themes that Pavel's work brings to the readers of The Daily Catch and what it is, what is in that secret source? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that comes through over and again is Pavel and his wife Sveta, actually she's not his wife, she's his common-law wife, um, are trying desperately to have a child. And that desperation, that urge comes through again and again, sometimes directly as the single topic of a column and sometimes more indirectly in an allusion to the topic. Pavel is, as might not surprise you, given his interest in database journalism and numbers and data, obsessed with numerical quantification of the war. And we see that in everything from his counting the number of bales of water, buckets of water he hauled down a ladder to prepare a bomb shelter, to his counting of pieces of wood to make a fence, to um, his counting the steps that he walks to get to his dacha in Malatonaravka. So we see this kind of minute detail that makes his reporting very trustworthy. That said, there are challenges in the work that he does. Um, he sends photographs. He's using a seven-year-old Samsung phone, and his own instincts about taking photographs leave something to be desired. <laughs> and yet every now and then he'll surprise me. Like he took a photo when he went to get his toy gun, which he thought would be a great little device to carry around to scare off hoodlums, took a beautiful picture of himself holding the gun next to his cat. I can't explain it, but it's a very powerful image. And having it be taken with a Samsung seven-year-old phone works just fine. There we go. A great aesthetic effect, born of necessity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He talks a lot about where the next kind of foods are going to come from. He talks about 
having to eliminate some fowl in his barn to make room for other things he needed during war. He writes about his relationship with his in-laws. He did, under some duress, write about his relationship with his mother, who lives in Russia, and his father, from whom he's completely estranged. So he's told us a lot about his life, and I think that also makes his story more compelling because you realize as a reader that war happens to regular people and the story of what's going on and the ways in which they try to carry on a pretty steady existence are quite fascinating, while meanwhile, shrapnel is falling and grenades are going off in the background. Yes, it really is the the quantification and description of an ordinary life and living despite these profound events that are going on around Pavel and his family. And they really are close to home, aren't they? I mean, the, the war is something that uh, is on his doorstep and that threatens his life regularly. Yeah, that's a really good point because, of course, as we all remember, um, we heard a lot about Kiev, which is many hundreds of miles away, but the war has really moved very close to Pavel. The Russian army is now sitting 20 miles outside of Kramatorsk. They've crossed a very key river in recent days, and Pavel is now gearing up to potentially uh, flee and evacuate to Odessa in the southwestern part of the country. So that too makes the story compelling. I remember years ago, I had an editor who said, drama is what keeps people coming back to newspapers. And that drama of will he leave, won't he leave? Will they get a baby or won't they get a baby? Is very much in my mind as I edit the work. How would you describe Pavel's worldview and his views on the war that he and his family are living through? So that's been a point of contention, actually, with some of our readers. Um, Pavel is not the ultra-Ukraine nationalist that I think many in America are prone to believe follows all Ukrainians. He's living in a contested area in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. And he himself, being the son of a Russian mother, has allegiances to Russia. So his point of view is that all politicians are awful, all war is terrible, He really just wants the war to end, and he doesn't seem to care terribly much under whose regime he is living. How do readers respond to that? Some are disturbed by it, but I think over time, the complexity and the nuance of that perspective has become something our readers accept and realize the more they get to know Pavel, the more complex he is, as we all are, and he's not a unidimensional character. I think it took my being able to accept the non-unidimensionality of his character to help elevate the story and make it less seamless. You know, it's it's not a straight through line narrative like, mm. yay, 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 Pavel did the next great thing to save his family today. It's It's not always predictable what he does. And the ways in which he tries to avoid the authorities are sometimes controversial to me. He will take no money, no charity, nothing from anybody else. Um, At the same time, he, a couple of weeks ago, asked if I could front him some extra money to help him buy a place in Odessa. So those are the kinds of things that are, there's a complexity in the way he thinks about the world and about the war. He also didn't go to college, doesn't speak English. Um, His skills in some ways are not what you might have expect of a man his age. He 
tried at one point to create an Instagram following, building storylines around things happening in New York. And he sometimes got the got the storyline off and confused. So he's doing his best and he's charming and he's lovely and kind. There is an extraordinary resonance to the way his words are presented in English. Incredible phrases. One recent posting about his wife's birthday said, a birthday is like a motto, one must live in spite of war, which is an incredibly concise, I think, summary and, and uh, reflection on the experience he's going through. Mm-hmm. How much has that got to do with the quality of your translator and the rendering of his words? Ah, there is no translator. So here's how the process works. He writes his stories in Ukrainian. He puts them through Google Translate. That's it. And then I get them and they are often unintelligible. One of the biggest problems is pronouns get turned around. So he might mean she and it'll say I, or he might mean they and it'll say we. So that's just at the most superficial level. And then I can tell that sometimes the meaning of his words is distorted. So a great amount of the back and forth with the editing is trying to clarify what he means. We don't have the budget to afford a professional translator, nor does he. So we have to work with just our own commitment to getting the story straight. And then after I go through this back and forth and I rearrange and restate some of his ideas into the language that will make sense for my readers, I then send it back to him and make sure that he puts it through whatever engine he puts it through to make sure that the column still upholds the integrity of words and communication that he wishes it to say. That is a really interesting mix of the power of AI and online tools, but the importance of uh, rigorous human oversight and uh, communication and exchange in the process. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's tested the limitations of my own abilities as an editor. And I am sometimes tempted to put things he says into the words I want there to be. I want to be there. (laughs) Like, I think he's saying X. And so I want him to say X. And sometimes I'll write back to him and say, Pavel, is it okay if right here we say this? Because it seems like this is what you're trying to say. And I can state it for you more succinctly. He tends to ramble sometimes. I don't know if that's how it is naturally or if that's just the bot that is Google Translate. It is a very arduous process. But one that's well and truly worthwhile. We're speaking with the founder and editor of The Daily Catch, Red Hook's local online newspaper, Emily Sacker. Emily, has the experience of Pavel's War becoming a column changed him, do you think? Yes, he talks about that all the time. I think in many ways um, it has changed him. I think first and foremost, having the ability to give voice to your own feelings and having an audience, a ready audience, albeit a small one, to read what you're thinking and what you're observing on a regular basis is very empowering for him. I think also on a human level, he enjoys the connection with our readers. He responds to every single reader comment. There have been over 700 of them over the course of the columns, and he writes back to every single person. And I think that has made him, I know this, it's not just what I think. He has told me that he feels so connected to Red Hook. He wants to visit Red Hook. He wants to connect to our readers. He wants to meet them. That's an incredible thing that even if this column goes nowhere after this is over, I know that one man has made a connection outside of his own nation 
and with the very important readership elsewhere in the world. I don't know how else you can put value on that other than it's a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, you know, is it journalism? I don't know. It's it's something. It's reportage in some way. <laughs> Are there plans for Pavel to come to Red Hook someday? Definitely. We have the money set aside for him to come, to fly him here. We've planned, not with him, but kind of with our own team, we've planned a series of activities and places we will take him and show him and events where he will meet the readers of Red Hook and Rhinebeck as well. Possibly there will be other opportunities. As I think you know, um, NPR, the public radio station here in the United States, has featured him. And there are millions of readers and listeners to those podcasts. And hundreds of them have reached out and said they want to meet Pavel. So if he ever comes to the U.S., there will be a ready audience for him to talk more about his experience. That said, that will definitely require an in-person, in-the-moment translator because he doesn't speak a word of English. And finally, Emily, what impact has Pavel's War had on you and your audience? It's been a very humbling experience for me. For one thing, the fact that it has lived and that it now has a life of its own is unprecedented for me as a journalist. I actually used to be a columnist for Newsday. I can't remember ever being as invested in my own column as I am in this. Hmm. I think about him constantly. I think about ways I can draw out the best from him and the most interesting insights from him. I think about ways in which my readers will or will not continue to connect to him. So I worry about it on and think about it on all the levels that one would think about it as an editor, but also about all those levels I just alluded to as a person. And I've been very choked up at times by what I've read. I've had to take moments to step back. That's not how I usually am. I'm pretty pretty dispassionate about my work most of the time, but it's really caused me to take seriously in ways I never had before the power of what this newspaper is. Those are some of the some of the ways that it has changed me. I think for the paper also it's really helped us satisfy an audience hunger about the war and it's also helped us satisfy ourselves about what we're doing and sort of settle the newspaper into a certain kind of paper that tells a certain kind of story. It's helped us to realize what local really means in a world like we're in today. It's a very interconnected world. And I think I've grown my sense of what local really means to now thinking of local as anything that allows my readers to care about something that they wouldn't otherwise care about. Emily Sacker, thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Pavel's column is called Pavel's War, and it's published by The Daily Catch, Red Hook's online newspaper, whose motto is, because fresh local journalism matters. And Pavel's War is a wonderful long-distance vindication of that credo. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.